Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. You're listening to episode 147 of the Marathon Running Podcast. This is Boston 101, part two. Today, we're going to talk about the Boston course. This is the Marathon Running Podcast by Letty and Ryan from We Got The Runs. Join us in our running community for weekly content that is motivational, educational, and inspirational and let the marathon running podcast take you from the starting line to the finish line and beyond hey runners and welcome to episode 147 of the marathon running podcast my name is letty i'm your host and i'm ryan your co-host and today we're going to talk about the boston marathon course last week's episode was all about the logistics and everything else so if you've missed it go back to part one episode 146 and today we're going to talk all about the course and if you had not subscribed yet please do so because it helps us yes it sure does so letty who's our guest today Our guest today is Kristen Smith. She's a running coach from New York. She's super knowledgeable about the Boston Marathon because she's run it multiple times and she also has a lot of athletes that she coaches through it. You can find her on Instagram at ChrisRS, K-R-I-S-R-S. And if you guys are going to Boston, I'm assuming a lot of you are because you're listening to this podcast, she shared her information about a shakeout run with you, which we will post in our Facebook group called the Speed Striders. If you have not joined our Speed Striders group yet, please do so. We're super fun and very motivating. And that's all I got for now. So, Letty, you ran the Boston Marathon just once. You were going to do it before, but what happened? COVID. Yes. So, I ran it virtually, and it was a disaster. Running Boston and Florida is not the same. <laughs> so, you ready to get into it? Yes. So, without any further ado, we're now going to play our conversation with Kristen Smith. All right. So, I'm here with Kristen Smith. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. And you are a running coach and maybe you can tell our audience who you are, what you do, and how is it that you've studied the Boston course so well? Hi. Yeah. Um, so I coach in New York City where I live. I live in New York. Um, I'm a coach, one of the coaches for a run club here. The club is named the Dashing Whippets. Um, and so we meet in person and there'll be a big group of us uh, headed up to Boston this year, approximately uh, 35 of us from the club. Um and, but I also coach a number of people online and they live all over the U.S. And some of them live in other countries, too, um, like Mexico and Canada. And I have uh, one person in Ireland, actually. Um, but uh, people from people all over um, and primarily marathoners, as I said, but also, you know, I have some people that are training for halves and 5Ks and 10Ks and in all kinds of other distances as well. Boston is my absolute favorite of all the marathons that I've ever done. Um, and, and so I really love the history of it. I love the 
the whole environment of the weekend. And to me, there's just nothing else like it. So it's sort of my pleasure to to really dig into all of the facts about Boston and the course. It's also one of the more tricky races that that people will probably do through their uh, racing career. Um, and so there's a lot to to study and and become familiar with. Um, so it's it's sort of a passion of mine. And also there's just a lot, a lot there. That's awesome. And what a great experience for your runners to have their coach present at a race. I think there's almost nothing better than that. Um, will you be running it as well? Yes. Uh, so this will be my fifth time running Boston. Um, as I said, it's it's my favorite. So I try to do it every year. Um, th so this is my will be my fifth year in a row. So um, my goal is to keep doing it as long as I possibly can. <laughs> That's awesome. I know a lot of people sharing similar goals and I can 100% agree with you about everything being awesome when it comes to Boston. So since you've done it a bunch of times and you're bringing athletes, let me ask you for some insider information. What do you tell your crew to do in the mornings? We all know the race doesn't start till I think it's 1030 or 11 or something like that. And so normally races start at seven o'clock. So there's a big discrepancy. Um, what do they do for fueling? What tips are there to give? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the primary thing that I want everybody to think about when they think about Boston is that instead of running between breakfast and lunch, you're actually going to be running through your normal lunchtime. Um, and so your body is going to be uh, sort of in a bit of a shock in that, um, you know, you're going to be fueling differently than you would fuel for most of your long runs or most of your runs. Uh, the thing to do is to, I, I, is to have two breakfast, a larger breakfast in the, in the morning at your normal time, but then you want to supplement with something, uh, closer to the race. Um, one of the things about Boston, it's a point to point course. And so the entire morning, uh, is a bit of a, an ordeal in that you have to get up early, get to the buses, wait on the bus, uh, take the whole bus ride, sit in Athletes Village. So it's a it's a really, it's sort of a, a prolonged um, morning of transportation and, and logistics to get there. Um, and so, you know, it can be easy to overlook fueling, but you want to make sure you have something in the morning before you leave, but then also you have something in Athletes Village and or on the bus um, in transit before you get started with the race. Yeah, and I think that's uh, also a little bit tricky to practice with because most of us work during the day, so we can't really mimic that. Do you suggest your runners do that on a Saturday or Sunday on the weekend just to kind of get a feel for it? Or do you think it's just enough to kind of know, okay, I need to eat more? If it's possible, you know, the, the more that you can mimic race day conditions in training, the better off you will be. Obviously, you know, we all have schedule limitations and, you know, flexibility limitations. So, you know, you do the best that you that you can with the circumstances uh, available to you. I like to do some later uh, training runs uh, on the weekends. Um, but, you know, I'm not doing that every week because I can't always do that every single week. Right. So that's OK. As long as you have some idea of what you're going to do on the day and some, you know, frame of reference for um, how your body is going to react to that, then then that's OK. You know, like you don't have to go and 
uh, run Boston itself before you actually run Boston. <laughs> you know, you just try to do the best you can to mimic the the course and the conditions and the and the timing. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's hop into that course. So 26.2 miles starting questions are from people from other countries. Are there kilometer markers, mile markers, or both? There are the, all of the 5Ks are marked and there are um, clocks at the 5K marks um, with timing mats as well. And uh, so anyone tracking you will get the splits for the 5Ks. And so that will be very clear. There are kilometer uh, markings as well in um, small places indicated on the road. And so they're not big signage. The The miles are really big signs and flags. And so you will see those um, every single mile. But for each kilometer, that's uh, just a small marking on the road, except for the 5Ks. Okay. Okay. So now that we've got that established, how do we talk about this best? Well, when I'm doing my course review, I typically break it up into the 5Ks because I think uh, that's um, you know, easily digestible. And also the thing about this course is that it's so undulating that, you know, if you really are trying to break it down any smaller, it gets a little bit difficult to manage because, you know, some miles are going to be really all uphill and some miles are going to be all downhill, um, you know, with, with a little variation in there. Um, but if you're, as long as you can be consistent over the, you know, the 5Ks or over the average, um, then you're usually going to be in pretty good shape. Okay. So I remember the first 5K being downhill, maybe even more than that. But before we get into that, at what point do you feel like it breaks up the crowdedness a bit more? The only year I ran Boston in was when they had the open rolling start. Yeah, that was a totally different experience. Um, so normally with the the corral start, um, everybody's really crammed in um, early on. I would say all the way up until the 10K mark, honestly. The 10K uh, is is where you come into Framingham and um, that's where the train station is and the road opens up. So early on, really from the beginning, all the way up until that 10K, it's a two lane, uh, narrow country road. It's, you know, we're not, you're not running on big avenues or big highway stretches or a four lane road. It's, it's nothing like that. Um, because it's way out in the suburbs of, of Massachusetts. And so, um, it's a, it's a small road with a lot of people on it. Yeah. So how do you approach that best as a runner? Should you go with your training plan? Um, average time or do you because it's also downhill right so even yes. though you'd be slowed down by people you might also speed up because it is downhill yeah so uh i usually expect to be a, a little bit faster there but you don't want to be too much faster so something in the you know we're talking like five seconds here um you know maybe 10 seconds um you know in certain spots because there are there there are some sections where there's a lot of downhill some you know on the order of like uh you know 60 70 80 feet downhill so obviously you know that's pretty substantial um and you're going to feel that and you're not going to want to work against it too much um but at the same time you don't want to be pushing it right because there's a lot of race to go so 
Um, take it easy. You know, you can you can run it relaxed and casually. All the people around you should be going about the same pace. Uh, so I recommend not trying to run around people or fight the crowds, um, but really just relax into it and um, let the let the course be your be your guide there. So at the 10K mark, um, things become a little bit flatter than than the than the early section, um, which is which is nice. So that's a good place to settle in. And and as I said, the road really opens up there. Um, so you have a little more wiggle room, which is good. Um, you'll find there that people start to, you know, speed up and spread out. Uh, I recommend not following their lead and really just um, taking taking that section to to cool your, you know, cool your uh, energy down, calm your breath a little bit because uh, the beginning is is a real uh, sort of hype kind of time. Uh, it's just a, you know, the the atmosphere you know gets your heart racing even if you're running easy you're you'll find that your heart is racing so i like to tell people to to settle down there and just calm calm your breath calm your heart rate look around you you know take it all in um and enjoy the scenery there um but you you shouldn't really be trying to speed up or slow down or or anything like that just you know keep it keep it easy keep it relaxed and and uh, settle in Okay, great. And so then what is the next thing that we're uh, looking forward to? Yeah. So after Framingham, you you roll into Natick, which all, uh, is a little wooded area. There's a there's a ponds on either side of you. Um, you go through the Natick uh, Common, which is a has a real small town vibe. There's uh, old churches there. Um, it's a really peaceful area. It's pretty quiet. There's not a lot of cheer, you know, crowds and cheering there. Um, but that's okay. The course is in that section is an overall uphill, but it's, it's not anything drastic or anything to worry about really. It's just, it's a slow, steady, gradual. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's a, that's a good area to, to really, Again, keep things in control because as soon as you pass Natick, that's when you head into into Wellesley, and that's really, as far as I'm concerned, where all the work begins. At that point, you're you're coming into the half, and you're about the 20k mark. Um, so, uh, you know, really from from the 10k up to the 20k, uh, I liked people to just be really calm, settle into your pace. Uh, enjoy that, enjoy that quiet because there's not a lot of places on the Boston course where it is quiet and calm. Um, so take that moment to really, you know, settle into yourself and settle into your race. Um, and, you know, just be relaxed about it at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned Wellesley college. I've heard that a lot of craziness happens there. I didn't see it because again, I ran the year after COVID, but, um, is, is that something that's true that you've seen too? Oh, absolutely. So the beautiful thing about Wellesley uh, and the Wellesley Scream Tunnel is that you hear it before you can even see it. So um, that section is 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 wooded um, and there's a train uh, there's train tracks on your left side, but there's no uh, houses or anything like that. It's just wooded area in, in the train. And then on your right, 
uh, is where Wellesley College starts to come into focus. Uh, and so it starts with, you know, some of the dorm buildings and residencies, and then you get into the college itself. And that is where all of the, there's just masses of people, um, primarily young women, um, but women of, of all ages, um, and, and some men as well, but primarily women. And, um, they are just, they are so excited. They, you know, they make you feel like you're, you're, you're the rock star. You're the, you know, the Beyonce of the day, um, because they are so pumped and you really can't help, but, but take that energy and, uh, you know, and feel it inside you. So it's, it's a really amazing, amazing experience. The only, the only thing you have to be careful of is that you don't use all of that energy and all of that excitement to speed up too much because it's really easy to do that. And you would do it without even thinking because you just start to feel like weightless. You start to feel like you're flying. You start to feel like energy is increasing. However, you're only at the half at that point. So you need to keep things in check, right? So it's, it's a balance. You want to take it in, but you don't want to let it overwhelm you and, 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 and get, get ahead of yourself. Right. I know how that goes when you get excited and you speed up a little bit too much. <laughs> so, all right. So then all that stuff is true. It sounds like it's going to be fun to witness all that. And then we keep running. And then how far are we from the infamous four Newton Hills, including Heartbreak Hill? That comes right after Wellesley. So Wellesley is, uh, starts about mile 13 and then by mile uh, 15 into mile 15 into 16 is when you make this huge downhill drop. It's over a hundred feet down and you go from Wellesley into lower Newton falls. And that is where the start of the climbs happen um, right there at mile 16. Um, but the, <laughs> it's a, it's a crazy thing because before you do four giant climbs, you do one giant downhill. And so, you know, again, this is the tricky, this is the tricky part about the Boston course is that your body and your muscles are constantly having to shift gears, right? So, you know, you can't get comfortable in any one thing because you're always having to transition from this point to this point to this point. And so this is one of those big points where it's really you know, a sharp difference between from one to the other, from mile 15 going into 16 and and then into the climbs. So we've had, just to recap this a little bit, the first six miles downhill, then it flattens out. And then we have Wellesley. After that, there's a drop. And then we start climbing. Yes. So the, the climbs start at mile 16. Um, there are four climbs that come right in a row in succession. Um, all of those hills actually have a name. Um, the The only name that people really remember is Heartbreak Hill, but I have all the names of the hills if you want to know. Um, the first one is Washington Hill. That comes from mile 16 to 17. The second climb is called Brayburn Hill. That comes from mile 17 to 18. The third climb is John Kelly Hill, and that comes between mile uh, 19 and 20. And then the fourth climb is Heartbreak Hill, and that comes between mile 20 and 21. So as you can see, it's really like climb, 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 climb. And uh, there's not a lot of um, in-between time to, to like, you know, 
give your legs a break or catch your breath or any of that. Um, and that's what that is what really makes this section tricky. Yeah, that does sound pretty tricky. So how bad are those hills? Because I don't recall. Um, maybe I'm suppressing this memory. I was also injured, mm-hmm. so I wasn't going for a good time. I was mm-hmm. just going for a good time. Um, yeah. So, but maybe, you know, obviously it's all different when you're trying to hit certain time marks on your watch. So how bad do those climbs feel? Which ones are the worst of those hills? Well, they're, none of them are particularly long and none of them are particularly large as far as a hill goes. Like, um, I can say like I live in New York and so we have uh, for New York City Marathon, we have all these bridge climbs. Right. And the bridge climbs are longer. They're more like a mile long and they're over 100 feet of climbing. So uh, um, these climbs are actually smaller than that. The biggest one is Heartbreak, which is the last one. That's a gain of 95 feet. Um, over a uh, half a mile. So it's a half a mile climb. It's not that long. The others are about uh, that in that same range um, from a half a mile to uh, 0.65 miles. Um, and they're all under a hundred feet of climbing. The Again, what's tricky is just that it's all of them so close together. And it's, it's in that second half of the race where, you know, your, your legs are already starting to to feel fatigued from those first 16 miles. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I have gone and run the, just the Newton Hills on, on their own, um, in trips to Boston. Um, uh, we, I actually take the group, um, here from New York, we go up and do a little training run, um, for that later section in Boston. And it's interesting when you do the Newton climbs without having done the first, you know, 16 miles, you're like, what you're like, well, this is no big deal. Right. Cause it, it really isn't in it on its own, but it's the culmination of all of those things together that make it, that make it really tricky. So again, each of those four climbs on their own, not particularly big deal. They're not that long. They're not that big it, but it's just, that you can't really um sort of get back to get back to uh home base before you have to continue on to the next one right so your pace is going to and your pace and your legs will really be suffering and feeling it by the time you get up to the top of heartbreak which comes at mile 21 okay so then wow so then any tips that you give your athletes as to how to approach them or how to pace for this. Obviously, I'm sure as a run coach, you're not advising to bank time in the first six miles, but maybe there are some other tricks you have. It's not, so it's not banking time. What it is doing is, again, like the course is your guide, right? So you're not, you don't, you're not going to fight the course. A lot of the early course is downhill or flat. So you should have had, uh, you should have been a little bit ahead of, marathon pace um at at any point in, in those early miles anyway again you're not you're not racing the downhill you are running with the downhill in a controlled manner and so that should give you a couple of seconds again i'm talking something like in the range of 5 seconds um per mile early on um again and then you're going to you're going to need all of that when you get to these Newton Hills uh because you are going to slow down you're not going to run marathon pace up 
four uh, inclines coming back to back. And uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't make no attempt to to maintain marathon pace up up those climbs. Um, and that's you know if you've paced strategically, that's all going to be okay because there are plenty of places to get it back. Um, uh, not all of these climbs come with the downhill on the other side, uh, but two of them do. And so there's a place where you can get a little bit of time back, um, almost immediately. Um, and then there's, um, all of the later you still have from mile 21 is the top of heartbreak Hill. So you still have five more miles, um, with which to sort of, um, you know, get, get back some time. Um, in terms of training for this, I really recommend people train on hills, um, uh, particularly for their long runs. Uh, so, you know, if you're going out and you're doing, um, you know, a 20 mile run or, you know, up to 23 mile training run, um, you really need to put in significant, um, climbing in there. Don't, don't avoid the hills. I know a lot of us, uh, you know, sort of go out of our way to, you know, find the route that's the flattest and the friendliest. Um, when you're training for Boston, you want to do the opposite of that, where you want to make a point to go and find the hills. Um, and so I do that myself um, on the weekends. Uh, I make it a goal to try to get over a thousand feet of climbing um, for my long runs. Um, not every single week, but, uh, you know, about half of the weeks um, in the training cycle. So my legs know what it's like to climb when they're tired. Uh, that's that's really the key. Because if you go out and you run a hill in mile one, uh, you know, of your long run or mile five of your long run, like that's going to be, that's a whole other beast than trying to do it in in miles 20 and 21, um, which is where these these hills come. Yeah. And, and that makes complete sense because you're simulating what you're going to be doing. So you're getting your body used to it. So that's really mm -hmm. good advice. So then we've climbed Heartbreak Hill. I remember there was a sign that says it said it was over. Yes. Um, and then from there, how is the course? Is it flat? Is it downhill? And also maybe talk about this, the famous Sitco sign. <laughs> yes. Well, so once you get to the top of Heartbreak, it's pretty screaming downhill there from miles 21 until uh, 24.5. Um, and, you know, you might think that that is a good thing, but honestly, at that point, everything hurts. So the downhill is sort of uh, pretty painful uh, at that point. Your legs have really gone through a lot. Um, and so I find uh, at that point that uh, the pounding, the, the downhill pounding really feels like, um, you know, you're sort of being clobbered with a bat at, at that point. Um, but you know, the benefit of the benefit of it is that, you know, you're not, you're not, um, trying to fight to, you know, try to stay close to pace while climbing. So there, there is a benefit there and it also gives your legs a chance to, to do something different, but uh, I will say that it that that's that's when that downhill starts to really really hurt, and you realize how much uh, of the of the pounding you've done by that point. Um, when you get to the bottom, you really bottom out at about at about mile twenty four. How many feet is that downhill? Overall, you're losing over two hundred feet. Um, again, this is it's spread out and it's rolling, so it's not just straight downhill two hundred feet. 
Um, but from mile 21 until mile 24, there's, there's 200 feet of, of loss. Um, so it's, it's pretty substantial. And again, you're going to, you're going to be feeling it. I mean, it's that those late miles in the marathon are never pleasant anyway. So this is sort of like extra not pleasant. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Especially after you supposedly hit the wall between 18 and 22 miles while you have those hills. So I know that's, um, that's pretty tough. Um, anything else on that hill that we'll see that, uh, you know, kind of triggers us. Okay. This is almost over. Well, so my favorite section, one of my favorite sections is actually when you pass Boston College. Um, personally, I enjoy it more than Wellesley. I, it doesn't get quite as much glory for whatever reason. I'm not sure why. Um, but to me, the Boston College atmosphere is is one of the most hyped sections of the entire course. There's like the college kids are out there and they are packed deep and they are crazy. They've probably, you know, most of them have been drinking all morning long because it's a holiday, um, but they're celebrating. They're having a good time and they're like celebrating the runners. Um, and so that to me is, is an incredible experience. But the other thing too is you can tell you're coming into Boston, right? So you start way out in the suburbs of Massachusetts, it feels like the suburbs, there's more trees than there are houses, you know, there's not as many businesses. And then you really are making this transition into the proper, the city proper. Um, And so it starts to feel more like a city. The crowds uh, really start to to amplify and get pumped up. Um, You start to go by, it turns, it, it was a commuter rail way out in the suburbs. As you get closer into Boston and Brookline, um, it actually becomes the T, which is their version of the subway, um, the above ground subway. Uh, and so that's traveling next to you there on your left uh, side as you come into Boston. Um, there's there's the sit-go sign, which is, which is famous because you can literally see that... Um, you know, from a mile out and, you know, when you get to the sit go sign, you're, uh, about a mile, uh, left, uh, on, in, in the race. Um, and so all of these things really, uh, you know, serve to, uh, fuel the fire of the, you know, that you're almost there, you're getting closer, you know, the energy is, is getting higher. Um, and so, you know, really you can use all of those things, uh, all of the signs around you, to, you know, fuel the rest of the race, um, to keep yourself going really. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then Sitco sign, you said, and that's a mile away from the finish line. And then we have the famous, what is it? Uh, yeah, it's right on Hereford left on Boylston. Um, and so that (laughs) the thing about that is it's, you know, it's across from the expo. So most people have, have already sort of seen that corner, um, you know, before they get there on race day. And it's like, it's a nondescript corner. There's nothing exciting about it on any other day of the week. Um, but when you get to that corner on marathon Monday, that you can, I mean, you can, you can feel the energy. It's like up to, you know, plus 10, Uh, the crowds there are, you know, 10 deep on the sidewalk. Like there's so many people, 
Um, there's layers of people cheering for you. Um, and really, once you make that turn onto Boylston, even though the finish line is still about, um, you know, 600 meters away, you can see the finish line from that far out um, because it's just a straightaway. And so the finish line is, is this huge arch. There's grandstands on either side. There's flags the entire way, you know, um, and all of those things, all of those signs and that energy around you as you get closer, they just become amplified and bigger and greater. And so all of that energy really carries you, carries you forward. Um, I, I really love that you can see the finish line so clearly uh, before you get there, <laughs> um, because uh, when you 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 make that turn on Boylston again, you still have you know like minutes before you're gonna get to the finish, and it feels like if you know it feels both like you're flying, but also it feels like you're not moving at all at the same time. It's this <laughs> weird you know like um, you know you feel weightless, but you also feel like you're you know putting a hundred and ten percent of your energy into it, and you're not going anywhere. Um, and so it's a really weird, uh, feeling. Um, but it's, it's magical. There's, there's, there's really nothing else like it. Uh, I don't think, uh, in the world. So, um, you can use all of that, uh, as you get to that point and, and, and the people around you too, the other runners around you, um, will start celebrating as well. I know for myself, like I practically am like, running and jumping in that section. Cause I'm so excited. Like I, there, there's, um, marathon photos will have, uh, have a lot of people, uh, there in that stretch with, with, uh, photographers. So when you get your pictures back, you usually have like, you know, 20 pictures of you all, you know, running down Boylston street. Um, but my pictures from that are always just like, I'm just like going crazy, you know, cause it's, it's so exciting. And, and all the runners around you will be doing the same as well. You know, every everybody's just sort of given so much to get there. Boston is is not an easy course, and so by the time you get to the end, you feel like you uh, just don't have anything left. It takes every bit of you uh, to get to that twenty six point two mile marker um, in this race, uh, and so you know everybody's earned it. They've worked so hard for it, and and the joy there is just is unmatched. Yeah, absolutely. I remember feeling that same way. Um, I really appreciate your insight. I hope, uh, you know, that I get to meet you in Boston and we'll talk after we get off here. Um, and good luck to you. And if our listeners want to maybe look for you, ask you questions, maybe they're looking for a coach, how can they best get in touch with you? Absolutely. Well, so my website is the best way. All my contact info is on there and the website is pretty easy. It's coach Chris. K R I S R S dot com. Coach Chris K R I S R S dot com. The R S stands for my uh, middle name and last name. Um, it, but so all my contact info is on there. Um, everything, you know, about what I'm doing or where I am is on there. Signing up for coaching. Um, you can also find me on Instagram. That is at Chris R S. 
uh, K-R-I-S-R-S. So uh, find me either of those places um, and and certainly reach out. And uh, if you see me in Boston, definitely say hi. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Kristen. Did you learn something, Ryan? Always learn something. That's awesome. And hopefully you guys did too. Uh, if you guys have any thing that you want to add, please send us a note. We're reachable through Instagram mostly. That's where we, that's where we hang out. And, um, if you want to tell us anything else we should be aware of on the course, we would happily, greatly appreciate it. And with that, have a good week of running. Thanks for tuning in. For more information, head to www.runningpodcast.us. And as always, have a great week of running.